Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Hogcast. I'm Bob Jennings, the Superintendent of Public Affairs for the 442nd Fighter Wing, and I'm sitting here with Major Shelley Eckleby, the Public Affairs Officer, Brigadier General Steve Nasty Nestor, the Wing Commander, and our current Vice Commander, Colonel Mike Rio Leonis. Today we're going to talk about what happened in the last UTA. We're going to go over a little bit of the many things that are happening this coming UTA. And a little later, we're going to be talking to Brigadier General Regina Sabrick, who is the 10th Air Force Commander. So I hope you all submitted your questions because she's going to have a little bit of time to answer those. But for now, it is... Nasty Nasty Time. Good. Thanks, Bob and Shelly, as usual. Um, We just wanted to kind of set the table for General Sabrick's interview uh, today before we... She comes into town tomorrow, and we're going to do this on Saturday with her. So actually, today's Thursday, and we're just kind of talking about last UTA, uh, this UTA, what's going on. We'll talk to Rio. Rio, you, you ready? You ready for Saturday, man? Yeah, I'm ready. Kind of, kind of been uh, dealing with family uh, <laughs> beginning of this week, which is uh, we need to get your parents a cell phone. <laughs> they don't have a very good cell phone, and uh, they print out their directions to get places. So they, they drove right by our house, and I had to rescue them. Uh, but uh, other than that, they're uh, they're established here, and you know we're uh, we're catching up, and it's 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 been good. Who's coming in for your change of command? Right, we have about uh, ten people coming in uh, from out of town, and then we have uh, my uh, daughter is married to a, uh, a family, in, or married to uh, her husband, who has a large family in the local area, so they're all coming out too. So we uh, we have a moderate sized group that's coming out to the change of command. Very cool. Yeah, I was t- we were talking earlier. Um, and I said to Rio after I did the change command with Angry, it's easy to criticize people when they're in charge. And then after the change command, I went back into that office and I was like kind of a little bit overwhelmed for 15, 20 minutes after the change command because I was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> like, this is going to be a lot of work. Where do I start? And it was a little bit overwhelming because I, I was like, okay, now you're the guy that if something goes wrong, right? Um, you're not the number two guy that just goes, oh, it's Angry's fault or... Suro's fault or, or whatever. So it, it, it was interesting. But I'll tell you this, just um, enjoy. It goes so fast, especially as a reservist. It's 24 UTAs, um, and it, before you know it, it's over in a blink of an eye. So enjoy the UTAs yeah. and the conferences. It seems like it's a lot when you're doing it, um, but uh, enjoy it. You'll have a blast. You'll do an awesome, awesome job. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I'll, I'll be phoning a friend yeah. when I need advice, so you, you'll be on my quick dial. Good. You can call. Yeah. I did that too, man. I called Borg regularly and uh, General Heckved and Overturf and Mackey, who had some experience working here Good. on questions about certain things and help. Uh, and you, you know, you've seen, we still talk to General Jackson, who's consulting for us in DC about future missions and stuff like that. So uh, those guys, uh, I get a lot of text and stuff from General Bradley, Boss Johnson, lots of old guys from the 442nd that reach out, General McIntosh, about, in fact, I just got a cool text from Overturf today. Yeah, awesome. Uh, about, great job, keep doing good stuff, glad you're still in the game, stuff like that. It was really cool. Excellent. So, yeah, the wing picnic was awesome again. The uh, weather didn't really cooperate. The dunk tank was a little cold. A lot of cold. But uh, I think we had a higher turnout this year than last year. Yep. Which was cool. So, thanks again to the uh, Warthog Booster Club, Mandy and Stortz, and um, all the folks in the command post that help out with uh, piggy packs every UTA. Uh, the Elks Club down south, a bunch of people from uh, AMVETS yep. gave us some money. 
uh, it was good. It's a good way just to relax for an afternoon and have some fun and, and a lot of kids stuff. And I thought it was a good time. Yeah. They, every, the last two years, they've gotten better every single year. And it's yeah. just a great time to get us all out there. So we talk about Bob Jennings singing the national anthem. <laughs> we did talk about that a little bit. I blushed. Yeah, that was good. I heard a who was the rapper that I heard sing the national anthem the other day at an NBA game that was awful. And I'm like, that, that, that Bob did better than he did. <laughs> I wouldn't know the words to the national anthem if I had to sing it. I don't Same. think. Did Same. you Did you do that off the cuff? I did. Yeah, yeah, off the cuff, uh, totally unprepared. Did not show up there expecting to sing, <laughs> but. You know, the flag was behind everybody, so nobody was looking at me, and that helped. Yeah, he made a dog howl. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, No kidding. (laughs) Or maybe a dog was singing. That's good. Um, Last UTA, we also had a retirement. Kelly Timmerman, why don't you talk about that, Rio? You retired her. Um, Yeah. She she was awesome. She was. And, uh, you know, I I remember Kelly as an exec, and I hired her as an exec when I was a fighter squadron commander. And, you know, I gave her props for she kind of got us out of an admin uh, hill. And uh, when I kind of set the retirement up, um, and she went on to be the group exec and the wing exec. And, you know, I saw Kelly as an exec, an operator, a pilot that got things done. But when I looked at her resume, I was blown away. She had like 1,940 hours of combat time in the KC-135. And, you know, as an A-10 guy, that how critical gas is over the last two decades in Afghanistan. So I was kind of blown away. And it was, uh, you know, I, I talked about Midwest values, excellence, and, you know, her, uh, her her loyalty to, to so many things, whether it was friends, the unit, or you know our country. So uh, it kind of blew me away um, that she did so much before she came and was our, our friendly exec. So it was kind of an honor to retire, and I kind of retired her on a. She was pretty happy. So uh, sad to see her go, but she's going to stay in the local area because her husband is uh, still in AGR in the one thirty first. Um, but yeah, it was a great, great honor to retire her, and I'll miss her. Pretty cool story on how she became an officer and a pilot. She was prior enlisted, right? She, uh, you know, she she was a cheerleader, and uh, she uh, went on a uh, uh, scholarship to a community college to be a cheerleader. And after that, she didn't know what to do, so she joined the Air Force to travel the world. And her first assignment was like two and a half hours away from where she grew up in Offutt. Yeah, and it was in Stratcom, and she uh, competed. Among, you know, all the people that go up to Stratcom, they're, uh, you know, all Intel, cyber, they're all very bright. And she competed among those people to get an officer slot. And she went to the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and got a pilot training distinguished graduate out of ROTC. And then, uh, you know, she went down to Texas for pilot training and uh, kind of went on for there. So, yeah, she, you know, I talked about her excellence, excellent in high school. Uh, she was always working two to three jobs just in high school, just to get by. She just uh, an amazing story that we didn't really know about until she told us about it because she's humble about her, yeah. her background and who she is. But she was the first person in her family to actually graduate college. Yeah, it's cool. Like people that listen, and and that's why uh, I like doing this and getting the word out. There's so many opportunities in the reserves. Uh, in this unit, outside this unit, different avenues to educate yourself to either you know move up in the enlisted ranks and become a chief or superintendent or go to deserving airman and become an officer or be a pilot. Uh, I like hearing stories like that. Uh, and there's so many in the wing. I've checked out a billeting last week. Uh, Lady Eden over there that I've become friends with, you know, because I, I think I've spent 2,000 nights in billeting in Oops. 26 years here in my career. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do the math. That's three, almost three years, right? Uh, that's no, crazy. No, that's 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 more like uh, no way. That's a lot. Yeah. You weren't exaggerating. No. Two thousand nights. That's six years. Twenty six wow. years. Wow. Yeah. 
A lot of, lot of nights in building. So anyway. Well, that's a lot of rewards points, huh? <laughs> I got none, Bill, wow. Bob. Blackout days? Nothing. Uh, no, no, not even, no. Not even free breakfast. Oh, anyway, Eden has worked there a lot, and, and she had uh, UCM wings on, her jacket. And I was like, what, what are those for? And she's like, well, my daughter's a flight school student at UCM. Her name's KC. That's pretty cool. Like, her, her real name's longer than that, but she goes by KC. I'm like, give me her phone number, text me, and I want her to come out to the base. So she, actually, she's in the simulator right now, flying the sim with Rule and uh, Worm. She has no idea about the military and how to get in. She wants to be an airline pilot. And I'm like, here's a good avenue for you. Just go do this. And it's cool. I like sparking people's interest to do stuff like that. Um, next UTA of two days. I, I'll probably miss it maybe, but Zingo's retiring as well. Um, Nicola. I mean, what a family. Her husband, Mitch, was in maintenance for years. She helps run the uh, newcomers program. Uh, they've been a huge part of the swing, uh, the Mazingos, uh, for a long time. I was thinking the other night how many different um, husband-wife combinations we have in the swing. It's crazy when you look at it, the Finleys, the Abels, um, Marks, the Oryx. Um, the Schultzes. The, the Lighters. That's true. The lighters. Be light. That's a great story. He's um, in the back waving. <laughs> yeah. There is a ton of cool husband-wife uh groups and the Bryants, the Bryants. Yeah. Uh, and their family the O'Connor's kids are all here uh, it's cool but anyway it's good to, to see her getting her, her last days here and that'll be that'll be good for her and like we mentioned General Sabres come in and be good for her to see the wing we want to kind of show it off and uh, a big part of our plan is to show her the great work of the people of the 442nd and what they've done with Really, in a lot of cases, uh, reduced manning and less resources. And we're still pulling off trips like uh, Defender Europe, Patriot Fury, Volk Field, uh, Aviano trips for security forces and, and CE and LRS and doing some really amazing things. It just shows me, and I want to show her, that if you give us any mission, whether it's the A-10 or the F-35 or the Strike Eagle, the great work that we do, not only with reservists, but with uh, our TFI partners in the 358th and at the 509th and the 131st, this base is a really a great TFI model for what I think will be a future fighter mission. And I want to keep iron here on the ramp for the reserves in the form of something, F-15E, uh, EX, F-35. And I know she's working hard to do that. So Hopefully we'll have some good conversations with her about good stuff we're doing in the wing and what she's doing for us to keep uh, a future mission uh, going for the 442nd. So that, that's going to be fun. Her and Chief Bluto are coming up. We're going to podcast with them on Saturday. Just I want to hear her vision for what she wants to do for the next couple of years as the 10th Air Force Commander. And then give you guys a chance to, to listen to her, maybe ask some questions. It's a great idea to get some questions uh, for her and Chief. And then Nate Parks is going to come in. He's coming in for the change command. He's now chief of the chief groups. So he is the guy that places all the chiefs or helps place all the chiefs in the Air Force Reserves, the command chiefs especially. Nate's had a great career, started here as a one Charlie Oscar, left to go out to fly drones. And then he's worked his way up to be a senior enlisted leader, then a command chief at Grissom. And now he's maybe we want to come back to maybe retire here. So he's going to be here this week, UTA. He is the reason I started this podcast. He was a command chief at Grissom and he had a podcast called Fuel and he sent it to me and he was telling me how great the reception was of the people at Grissom. And they had two or three hundred listeners uh, before the UTA and he did a fantastic job uh, in educating them on some of their benefits. And I think that's a tool you guys could use after I leave that we haven't really we've done more people centric things. Mm -hmm. Maybe get some ex experts on um, reduced retirement, uh, post 9-11 GI Bill, TRICARE Reserve Select, folks that are fighting for the resources. A lot of it's amazing when I talk to people how 
they don't realize some of the benefits they have available to them and how to access them. And I think this would be a great Absolutely. tool. That's a great idea. To do that. And that was Nate's, you know, I said on my first podcast and he goes, it was really good, but you need to talk to the 19 and 20 year old airmen a little more about things like that because they don't know um, a lot of things that are available to them. Um, what else you guys got? I want to talk about the, uh, the saves that uh, yeah. wing members have to talk yeah. about, uh, you know, impact outside the, uh, the fighter wing uh, with no notice and just acting and saving lives. Uh, so, uh, shall you the names? Uh, yes, they the names. Bob and I have our work cut out for us, but it's like, they're awesome stories. <laughs> we have this a lot is, of writing to do. We have so a lot good. of writing to do, but the four stories are pretty cool. Um, so the first person, we act, you actually coined him, sir, at the last DTA, right? Master Sergeant Winslow. Yeah. He is our CADM, he's CADM AGR, like NCOIC mm-hmm. in Security Forces. And so he saved, I actually interviewed him yesterday. And so I'll be writing an article, stay tuned for that. But he basically saved two lives. One of them was in the Lowe's parking lot. And this guy basically stopped breathing. Like he just got out of the hospital his son was trying to flag somebody down for helping him. And yeah, it uh, turns out Sergeant Winslow was there, heard him, kind of went over to him, administered CPR for, I think, nine minutes, and wow. I'm not exaggerating. Um, called paramedics and, you know, got him got him the help he needed. And then another one um, was off kind of a smaller street, but ended up saving a woman um, in a rollover crash and also administered CPR, not for quite as long. But she didn't speak English, and so that was pretty cool. But I think I was talking to Bob about this. The thing that stood out to both of us was when you were coining him, he was like, well, you know, what do you think of it? Super humble guy. And he was just like, well... I think everyone would do the same thing. And I was like, no, they wouldn't. Have you seen those TikToks of people like on the street in pain or hurting and people just, just walk over them? Filming it, yeah. Yeah, or film it. Or don't pay attention at all. So the fact that he like administered CPR, you know, went up the stop went up to the road and got like the street address to tell the cops. Like he did all these things that we have had ingrained in us from training, but to see it like practiced in real life under stress. And he just handles it flawlessly, I thought was pretty cool. What was the, uh, like, they came in quick sequence, weren't they like two weeks apart? Um, no, so one was, I think, April of okay. 23, and one was September of 23. Crazy. So still within six months of each other, but he was a prior, um, he used to be on the Pleasant Valley, is that correct? Yeah, fi- EMT, fire safety. Pleasant Hill. Pleasant Hill, yep. yes, yep. fire Hill. safety. That was good. And then the other guy was... Um, Staff Sergeant Anthony Capobianco. So he's on CE, Fire Protection Journeyman. Um, and so I think you may know. I've not interviewed him yet. Yeah, I didn't oh, interview him, but I just heard the story. He uh, was at a lake, and uh, some kids were uh, like off a pontoon boat swimming, and the, pon- the storm was coming in. And I think either the anchor or the rope that they had the pontoon boat tied in onto broke, or the, the boat drifted away from the kids, and he noticed it and took action. They didn't have life jackets on and swam out and basically saved them. They were struggling to swim and, and save these three kids, got them back to, to shore. Then I think somehow got the boat because the engine wasn't working or something and got the boat back into safety too. So uh, great job. Man, I, again, like we do this uh, emergency training all the time and take it seriously so you, you do know what you're, yeah. you can do if, 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 need, if you need to. Uh, the third one was Sabra. Sabra, yeah, and she she really she's our uh, wing exec uh, TR, and uh, she didn't really highlight that she did this. She kind of kept it quiet, um, but apparently she had a suicide save where someone was going to jump off a overpass or something like that, and 
you know, she, she talked them out of it and saved them. And it wasn't a wing member, but it was a, just a member of the, the community and, you know, just, you know, wow. just, just taking care of business. And, and then the one that I think is amazing is, amazing. so our, our flight surgeon, uh, Jen Waterman, uh, when I, when I was, uh, having the medical issues, I called her up and she, she was unpacking her boxes cause she had just moved to a lonely town in Maine, no kidding, Auburn, Maine. And, uh, uh, the day we had our active shooter exercise, we had a real active shooter event in this country in Maine, and it's uh, right next to Auburn, Lewiston. Maine, Lewiston. So I texted her that next morning. I said, that's a pretty tough neighborhood you, you uh, um, moved to. And she texted me, I just got home. Uh, I was in the OR all night, and uh, she uh, was at home when the active shooter happened, and she, she drove in. Uh, and she said it was kind of surreal. There's all these police officers running around and she didn't, you know, they hadn't found the guy. So she felt, you know, obviously nervous driving in and she uh, worked in the OR in the recovery room all night, uh, saving lives. And she made a comment that her time in Afghanistan, uh, in Kandahar, when she did surgery there, helped out because she was treating gunshot wounds. So wow. just, uh, you never know when, uh, what you do in the military or what you, your training will help outside the military so just phenomenal and you know just all these people are humble about Absolutely. what they did and, and this is not normal and a background um, on jen she's actually an orthopedic yeah. surgeon and she specializes in like ankles or ankles. something so and you know she comes here and serves one you know one week in a month two weeks a year yeah. and as thought, a flight doc who yeah you know i thought she specialized in um, trigger finger oh <laughs> she helped me with my trigger finger did she yeah i haven't she's gonna do surgery on me I, I have trigger finger. Is it really? Like, I don't know. Is it hands, ankles? It's my this hand. I, I got it from using Maybe the targeting pot all the time. We'll I wake up like in the middle of the night, my finger will be locked up like this, and I can't straighten it. I have to take my other hand and go like this. And Maybe it's hands. I thought it was ankles. No, it is. I'm joking, but she did help. Oh. Me. She did diagnose me with trigger finger. Oh. Yeah, so just, just amazing. I got a 10% VA disability for it, too. I had it on to your back. Service connected. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's another benefit we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't know if we want to talk about that that much. We have too many LODs. Uh, actually, thanks to Bill Kemper, he's reshaping our LOD program so we can get those completed faster and they're not sitting around waiting for people to sign stuff or medical, trying to figure out what's taking them so long to get them back to you folks. So when you do an LOD, we want to get it done and processed back to you so you have it ready to go. Well, hey, I wanted to tell you guys, thanks, Shelly and Bob, for... This, this kind of idea that we started, and you guys were like, I don't know if we want to do podcast. <laughs> and then, I'm going to interrupt you because you have a lot of good ideas, like a lot of good ideas, which is good, and but they're just not all executable. <laughs> and so I kind of jokingly like, told... Well, give me an example oh, of one gosh. of my ideas that's not executable. F-16 rides. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Who uh, else did you want to give a tanker ride to? You had all sorts of people. Oh, Panzika's dad. I was like, I can't get him on a plane. Yeah, to take pictures. Yeah, I can't do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of good ideas. So the podcast came about, gosh, almost, what, eight months ago now? This is episode seven. Okay. Well, I think that actual idea probably came about a year ago. Well, it was, it, I wanted to do it before. And then what really sprung it was actually Heather um, Mahom, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. who's our IG, wanted to have a meeting with us. And we're like, what? Which is another cool thing. I will say this. I'm proud of this as the wing commander. Maybe not proud, but I haven't had a, one IG complaint in two years. Uh, and when I was the vice wing commander, there were a few. We were throwing. I, I won't say I'm not surprised. We were throwing <laughs> half a dozen at us every UTA. I mean, wow. it was crazy. Uh, now that was different scenario with some other stuff going on. But 
anyway, so I don't really know what she does since there's no IG complaints. But um, now, anyway, she came up and said, hey, the wings worry. I, people are worried about the future of the wing. You, you need to do. I go, I talk to people a lot. We're out talking to Chief and I in Rio. And she goes, you need more of a strategic comm message to people. Yeah. And then uh, we sat around. You were in there. Mm -hmm. And we said, yep. I said, well, I've been wanting to do a podcast. Maybe we should just do that. Yeah. And we'll talk about the future of the of the wing every time we do a podcast. To just another avenue to communicate people with because I'm not a big proponent of email, mass emails. I, how many mass emails have I sent out in two years? Is to not all many. 442, maybe 10? Well, and I like it because people want to hear directly from you. Yeah. Um, and I think actually hearing your voice versus just an email or, I don't know, once in a blue moon at a commander's call. It's it's recurring and it's it's a good yeah. just-in-time thing to do. But I remember going over to, what was the facility we worked at at first before oh, the church? The, oh, the... The chapel? No. No, before no. the chapel. The life center. The life center. Oh, the life center. We go into the life center. <laughs> it's all set up. It's like a production sound room and Crack and Kuda and I were just massive. I mean, if you would have filmed, if you would have recorded that first 10 minutes when Crack and Kuda I and I. I wish we did. That was hilarious. Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of went from that to buying our own gear um, and yeah. doing our own thing. It was not expensive to get the stuff no. set up. And um, so you guys are awesome at PA, both you guys. And Shelly writes a ton of stuff for me, which should be like, hey, you need to write this message out for, what, July 4th or for the UTA or the hog bite without even me asking her. And I'm like, holy cow, A, that's really good writing. I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> uh, B, uh, uh, it just takes a lot off my plate, and Rio will soon understand it. Not that I'm that busy. Like, people are always like, I bet you're busy. McGraw would always come into my office and go, are you busy? Commandering, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but like Aria was busier than me during Patriot Fury by far with all the stuff he was doing and BTCs and meetings. And I'm kicking back, you know, smoking a lucky waiting to sign some stuff from Lissick, uh, and not that busy. That's not true. He's also going around on his scooter just visiting people, which <laughs> you know, that there's such a value to that. And you know, we're trying to make your job easier to free free up that time because people want to talk to you. They want to hear from you. You're getting your messaging directly from the CAFR. Yeah. They don't want to hear some, you know, they don't want to see an email. No, so. no, no, no. It's good. I think I will, you did a lot of that. I will tell you that, Rio. Yeah. Yep. And you know, you're good at it too. Get out of your office. Uh, let me like go to some meetings and, and uh, do some of the other stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that down in Peru where I was always walking around and I, it's the easiest way to lead. Uh, and I told General Radliff that I, I didn't see it until Peru. And I was walking out and, and, you know, where I really felt it is when I went down to Davis Mothin's maintenance uh, personnel, who were the ones that deployed down there. And, uh, you know, they were, they were uh, you know, their units closing. Um, and just talking to them and, you know, telling them that we're having the same struggles and just just the, the, the personal interaction. And, and you know, I, I lived in Tucson for eight years, so I had a relationship based on that with them. And it was just, it was just awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, I hate to say it was free, you know, you just go down there and, and, and just talk to people and get out there and get to know them. And I, I saw you do that uh, as a wing commander more than any other wing commander I think we've we ever, ever had, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, well before even I was here and then just seeing it work uh, down there in Peru. It was just phenomenal. And I, I've got it, you know, Got it scheduled. To be honest, uh, I told uh, Sergeant Cortez, "Is like we're going out every every week. We're going to schedule two hours, and we're going somewhere, and we're walk around yeah. and just talk to people." And then, obviously, Chief Barian did that with you. 
yeah, doing the UTAs and that that's going to continue. So yeah, he would set he'll set stuff up uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, what I didn't do enough of uh, is like I, not setting a breakfast up, but just going over and eating breakfast with people yeah. at the UTA on Saturday or Friday or Saturday Sunday, um, and doing that because then people that's a great will, idea will t- kind of talk to you more, and that's kind of what Jennifer said. She's going to eat with some airmen. She, they like to do that. They so, do, and they and they'll talk. That's good. They'll yeah, ask they'll, questions. They will talk. They'll give you feedback. Yeah. Just pointed to uh, our potential next uh, vice wing commander. Be like he, he'll be a commuter as well. Yeah. So he'll be uh, dragging me to breakfast. Yeah. Uh, during the ETAs, absolutely great idea. Yeah. Good. And we're here to help for that too, sir. So. <laughs> well, Bob, um, thank you too, and uh, you have a future in podcasting, Bob. Oh, you, thank you. You're good at it. <laughs> Actually, I think you do. <laughs> I do too. That's serious. Bob shined this year. Yeah, you know, you, you, you've done you, so much. Yeah, I think you, you enjoy doing this? I do. Uh, I mean, at any time I'm editing audio, there gets to be a point at about five minutes in where everything just sounds like garbage. And I'm like, I hate this. Re record the whole thing. And then I'm like, wait, I can't drag the general back in to re record everything. So then I have to get over it and deal with it. And uh, I, I think it comes out okay. Again, I'm the. When you became a PA, this wasn't your job description, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Strategic communication comes in many forms, I would argue, and that is evolving so quickly now, technology. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And we owe it to those 18 and 19-year-olds to communicate effectively. And frankly, email's not one of those ways, and neither is Facebook. I'm kind of hoping General Saber maybe does some of these. I would if I were her. Uh, and I think I'm not going to tell the future, but like... She's got a pretty good shot of being the AFRC commander someday, I would think. Um, and I think it would be a good way from General Healy or her to talk to 70,000 people. I agree. Uh, and go, this is what's going on in the reserves with XYZ benefits, HERs, all yeah. that stuff that people ask questions of that you can get to 70,000 people with one podcast very quickly. And it's, I think it's better platform than email. Sure. And they're moving that direction because now I'm whatever the strategic communication initiative yes there's a there is a position now on the staff for strategic communication and there's a kernel that sits there just social media just any it's like they're trying to remove that red tape exactly what you're saying they're trying to be like okay well we're gonna have one poc at each wing we have a teams meeting with him right before the utas and it doesn't have to be the pa person it usually is um but yeah he talks to general healy twice a week he updates him on all the um, DV happenings in our wings. So anytime we have a senator or even like the chef, any type of opportunity to interact, Eric Stone Street would be another good example. Any type, any opportunity to have to interact with somebody that could maybe influence change um, in our wing, General Healy now is being directly briefed on that information. And so that's been a big shift. And then we are supposed to likewise take that information and kind of brief it to the masses. So Bob and I have talked about that a little bit. Podcasts are probably a better, better way to do it than the hog bite. But Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting when, I, when the SECAF, uh, Secretary Kendall, was coming here and I got to meet with him. General Healy had, I think, that person, the strategic comm person, talked to me. Carlos Hill, who runs legislative affairs for the reserves. Carl Gibson. They all called me, hey, prep me on what to say and not to say. Mm-hmm. So I, the communication coming from me would be the same. He's going to hear from General Healy in three days later. Yeah. So uh, it's good. It's good. They're doing a good job. Yeah, suggest uh, that General Healy does a does a podcast 30 minutes once a month. You know, uh, he, he might impact 
yeah. that, that initiative significantly. I think that's the biggest thing is it streamlined communication. You eliminate like the telephone game because I know sometimes whatever I set up here through a meeting is a completely different message from, you know, airman snuffy and maintenance yeah. what they receive. Well, thanks, guys. Um, yeah. Did you mention what your next assignment was yet on the podcast at all? It, you know what? It's probably going to change after tomorrow, after <laughs> my going away party. Gen, uh, General, You've made it this far. I think you're good. General Sabrick might not. Actually, it's funny. I had to send her a wish list of jobs I want. Um, all of us do. We, we meet at the end of uh, November. Uh, it's called the MLR. And um, I'm going to Tyndall, to First Air Force, to be a... <laughs> Deputy CFAC for NORAD. North what is a CFAC? For those CFAC stands for Combined Forces Air Component Commander. So a Deputy CFAC, the, the, the CFAC, really the CFAC will be a four-star NORTHCOM commander. But I work for a three-star who's a guard guy, General Nordhaus, uh, and he is the CFAC for NORAD NORTHCOM. And there's some Canadians, and there our job is to protect all of North America from intercepts and from all aircraft to uh, natural disasters like volcanoes, hurricanes, stuff like that. And then uh, we do POTUS support, so when the president moves around, uh, there's a temporary flight restriction around his location. Mm -hmm. So occasionally, light aircraft will fly into that, and we'll have to shoot them away to protect the president. So uh, interesting. I get to go do some pretty cool tours of Northcom and Colorado and some stuff in D.C., and uh, I basically sit on alert five days a month uh, in a TLF or at the Air Operations Center. So that'll be fun. I'm, I'm also, they've got me going to some schools. I'm doing a school next month, um, and then a bunch of promotion boards and different stuff they're asking me to go do uh, now that I'm, I have a little more time on my hands. Are you ready to go? No. <laughs> no, who would want to leave this place? I yeah, know, I know. Yeah, everybody I talk to is like, God, it's, but, yeah, leaving an ops unit, an operational unit where you get to fly, it's, uh, it's the best job because you're still flying, and it's still operational. Uh, being an, be light knows, so being an IM IMA or an MA where you're just kind of floating around by yourself with no unit is is not a lot of fun because it's not the same camaraderie and all that stuff. But uh, it, it's good. I'll uh, I'll have some fun and something different. Change is hard, but change is good sometimes too, right? It's true. And we're going to celebrate your last two years tomorrow. tomorrow yeah, evening. Mandy's making some barbecue and we're going to have a good time. Natasha has a seat at the... My, yeah, I might. Too. I don't have to. I don't think I'm going to break out the uh, interpretive <laughs> dance tomorrow night. You don't think? I don't think. We'll see. <laughs> I gave my. I gave uh, uh, Gripper my credit card yesterday to Who's buy. Who's Gripper? Gripper's Lieutenant Dietrich. Oh. Gripper's his call sign. Okay. And uh, I might go buy some beer and booze and enough for 100 people. There you go. So it should be fun. Awesome. Exciting. Don't drink and drive. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. everybody welcome back that was a two-day break that you just missed uh, it is now Saturday morning and uh, I'm here with Brigadier General Regina Sabrick the commander of the 10th Air Force uh, and Chief Master Sergeant Bluto who has been here before he's the command chief of the 10th Air Force he was here with General Radliff a while back and he's still working for General Sabrick, uh, so we're excited to have both of them here with us. And, of course, General Nestor for his second-to-last podcast. We're going to do a, another one a little bit later. And uh, our command chief, Chief Christopher Berrien, and Major Shelley Eckleby, and, of course, Bob. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, Bob, I don't think we talked about it last time, but congratulations to you. You got selected as the superintendent of PA of the year. Uh, that's a big, big uh, compliment and award, and it's because of stuff like this that you're doing for the 442nd. I think that highlights you uh, in AFRC as a superior PA person, not to mention the fact that you went to Peru and to, uh, to Greece, and you're willing to, to go out there and do some, some great work for the 442nd, so I appreciate that, and congratulations. Well, thank you, sir. I, I really appreciate that. I think actually you're bragging about it more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I like to brag about people that, that, that do good work, and uh, you've made my job easier, both you and Shelly. Uh, Shelly, again, and both you guys, last night, the party that you helped set up and throw, um, that was tremendous, and I really appreciate you guys doing that for me. Now I've got to figure out how to get a gun barrel into my car and drive it for 15 hours uh, to Utah this afternoon, so that should be fun. Well, listen, uh, we're joined by um, General Saber Torch. Uh, you mind if I call you Torch during this? You should call me Torch. All right. All right. Not Torch, not Saber. My wife said that her her call sign Saber. I'm like, no, her last name is Sabrick, and her call sign's Torch. <laughs> and Chief Bluto, your second time here, Chief. Yes, sir. And 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 Torch, your first time to Missouri. You said first time to Whiteman. Just after spending a, a, a day here, just give me. Um, Give me reflections of your first impressions of, of Missouri and Whiteman and the 442nd Fighter Wing. And you know what? The first impressions, completely positive. I know what all of you see in it now, right? I've heard about Whiteman. I've heard about the crown jewel we have here, and I've just never seen it. But um, talking to your team yesterday and getting to look at the area and then the pride and the, the dedication of the airmen here – I get it. I get it. It's funny. You don't. You can't see it until you're here about how special the 442nd is. But that's what I took away from yesterday. I was like, ah, I'm like, this is why everybody loves the 442nd. It's crazy. It's an hour and 45 minute drive from KCI. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere uh, in Knob Noster, Missouri. When I first came here, I was like, well, I was single, and I was like, where am I going to meet women in Knob Noster, Missouri? This is crazy. Like this, <laughs> this is nuts. I'm going to be working at a missile base. But um, people come here. They like to whether they're living in the suburbs of Kansas City or in Warrensburg or Sedalia and they like to have some land um, they like the, the ability to raise a family here and they like like being here chief you were here with General Radliff uh, about a year or so ago yeah I think a little bit less than that but uh, it's an honor to be back and uh, differences any anything you see different from your first visit the last visit same things what do you what are you seeing when you come here no there, there are always differences sir but uh, these are these are positive right so you guys have implemented more programs and how you care for airmen uh, it's like like the boss said I have read about the accolades from the 442nd for years but it's not until you put boots on ground and shake airmen's hands that you see exactly what this place is about and why people stay here for an entire career or come back as you have a couple times. Uh, you know, I think your slides yesterday said people come from 30 different states to serve in this organization. And that's telling in itself, but seeing it is, is amazing. I say, hey, you can't lead people unless you know their stories. I want to talk to both of you guys about your stories and the people that are working under you and your command. I always tease my dad. I'm like, I'm in charge of 1,300 people. Show me a little respect. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in charge of like 20,000, 22,000 people, right? Which is crazy. That's a big ask. A lot of 17 wings, mm -hmm. uh, essentially. A lot of traveling. Uh, first of all, Torch, tell me, um, where'd you grow up? How'd you get interested in flying and, and what brought you to, into the Air Force? 
So I grew up in Pennsylvania, northeast Pennsylvania, in the Poconos. Um, when I was in uh, probably middle school, early high school, my dad took me to an air show, right? And that, that is the quintessential go to, my dad was a private pilot. Um, I never flew with him, but uh, he took me to an air show, and I remember looking up, and that was pretty much it, right? So um, after high school, I went to Penn State. Um, I got, I started soaring, I got my private pilot's license, and then I just loved the Air Force. I had a few uncles. Um, my dad was, uh, served as well in the Guard, and, and so a few just kind of family-wise, um, some Air Force in my family. But, you know, once I went to an air show, I was like, I want to be a pilot. And to me, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Like, there was no other path kind of to that. So um, went to Penn State, got an aerospace engineering degree, and then went into OTS uh, from there. Aerospace engineering, huh? Mm-hmm. You're a little smarter than me. I don't um, know how to study really hard. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I went to a commercial pilot program, and I, my roommates used to tease me because I'd play not Xbox, but Nintendo all the time. They're like, do you ever study? And I'm like, no, I'm just flying. It's pretty easy stuff. <laughs> But that's a that's a pretty pretty good degree. I'm similar. My dad was a, a F4 pilot in Vietnam, and I grew up around a reserve unit. And uh, I'd go to the air shows, and I'd watch the Thunderbirds, and then the A37s and A10s put on a display. And I was like, "There's no way I could ever do that stuff." These guys were like my heroes, my dad's buddies. And uh, as I started getting older, 15, 16, I got my private, same kind of thing. And they're like. If you want to do this, you ought to jump into the reserves and, and do this program. So same kind of drive to do that. So Penn State, did you go to any whiteout football games? Oh, of course. Of course. That's awesome. My, my One of my best friends in Indianapolis, his daughter, just got a volleyball scholarship to Penn State. Uh, and he's all, they went to a game a couple of weeks ago and it was a whiteout game. And, and he was like, this is going to be a lot of fun to yep. come here for football games and I volleyball games. I had tickets to that game. I had to cancel for a TDY. Really? Yep, yep. yep. So... You joined active first? I was. I was active duty for about 14 years. And then um, I went over to the reserve, and my first reserve job was out at Holloman um, doing MQ-9s. So tell me a little bit about your active duty 14 years. You started out as, as a WIZO in the mm-hmm. F-15. How long did you do that for? So super short. Um, when I got in, I went through OTS. Like I said, um, there were, weren't any pilot slots when I was coming out of OTS. So the answer was go into nav school. So I went into nav school, got the Strike Eagle, um, went over to Lake and Heath, got to deploy for Allied Force. So in the grand scheme of you could plan your life, um, you know, if I never went to nav school, I probably wouldn't have been in Allied Force, which was, you know, a phenomenal experience um, off of that. And then I got picked, I was super short um, out of Lake and Heath, probably about a year and a half. And then I got picked up for pilot training. So then out of there for the active duty, um, did a couple F-16 tours um, out of that. And then um, ended up being an aggressor um, out at Nellis when I got off of active duty uh, out of the F-16 before I jumped into the reserve. So what year uh, were your WISO uh, start? 96, 97? Uh, so I went through B course in 98, so 99 to 2000. So I was 9306 UPT. I went to Holloman. Uh, and the class behind me at Fighter Lead-In was a Jeannie Flynn who was the first female fire pilot in the Air Force. And uh, CNN, Fox News were all there. She was in the class a week behind me. Uh, talk to me a little bit about being a female fighter pilot and, and how that's been for you in, in kind of a, a male-dominated world, right? And I've heard like CQ Brown talk about this, where he's like, there's a lot of times where I'm the only African-American in a room full of, of white males. It's awesome that you've done that. Has it been challenging for you? How, how could you inspire 
other females in this organization to to want to be fighter pilots? Yeah. So first, Tally and a, you know, and Betty and a few of those have led the way, and you know. It just was 30 years since, um, you know, the ban on fighters for women got lifted, and that was a big deal, you know, and she just retired as well. So she paved the way, you know, for the rest of us as she did this, which is awesome. She's a friend of mine, which it's been great to be able to get to know her. It's funny you say, like, how's it been? It's still that way a lot, to be honest, right? There's not a lot of female fighter pilots. The great thing is we all know each other, right? And there's more. I go fly at Hill now, right? And there is a significant amount of female fighter pilots there, which I think is great. I think the camaraderie that we've had has been all great as we have grown up. You know, we've figured stuff out together as we've grown up. I love the fighter community. You know, I can't, I've, I've loved growing up in it. I've loved being a part of it, you know, since, since I've been in it, since a uh, lieutenant, you know, going on 27 years now. It's been great. I, you know, I think it's more accepted now, right? Like when I was a lieutenant, I got the questions like, why are you here? You know, we don't want you here. You know, that all came out, you know, when I was younger back in the day. That doesn't happen anymore. And I think it's a good thing, right? Pilot's a pilot. Maintainer's a maintainer, right? It doesn't matter what your gender is. I think we have gotten to a point, right, in 2023 that we are so much better than we used to be. It is not the, oh, you're only here because you're a girl. Like, the amount of times, you know, I've heard that is probably really, really high. Uh, But that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that's great. I think it says a lot of where we've grown in society. I think it says a lot of where we've grown in these male-dominated um, communities. Fighter pilots are. We know that, right? Um, looked around, you know, yesterday. It's still a small number, and that's just how it is as we go through it. I think helping with retention and different paths or helping to kind of keep people in a little bit more because, you know, you come to that why of, hey, I want to have a family or I want to do this, you know, and I think we're getting better for both males and females to figure out a path through that to, you know, kind of help them with their tension as, as well. But I'll tell you, in my, my experience in being a fighter pilot and growing up flying has been awesome. I have absolutely loved it. And I think General Radliff said it well that you're changed command. You're the first 10th Air Force female commander. You didn't get the job because you were female. You got it because of your background as an F-15 Wizzo, an F-16 pilot, MQ-1s, F-35s, AFSOC. Holy, I've never seen a resume quite like yours. So uh, congratulations on that. Interesting, I, my first combat sortie, not first combat sortie, in Iraq. My first sortie in Iraq was the day that Casey Campbell got hit. Similar stature to your, right? A 100-pound gal that flew this... I appreciate that, by the way. <laughs> that flew this <laughs> aircraft from Baghdad all the way to Kuwait, landed at Manor Reversion. I go into the, the ops room afterwards and we're in their email. And I, I, I used her email to email my wife because I hadn't talked to her in four days. And uh, she's a friend of mine. In fact, I've been trying to get her to come out and do a little speech to our wing. Um, uh, hopefully Rio can get her to come out. She said she would. Uh, her, her or her husband, Soup, uh, they both do some speaking. She'd be great to come out and motivate some young females in this organization. Just last week, I was checking out a billeting, and uh, this gal that works there had a UCM uh, wings on her. And I'm like, well, what, what, are, what are those? And she's like, oh, my daughter's in the pilot program at Central Missouri University. And I'm like, really? Well, why isn't she out here? <laughs> and she goes, I don't know. I, don't. I go, have her come out next Thursday, just a couple of days ago. And she's like, really? I go, yeah. So I met her at billeting. Took her over to the A-10 sim. Her name's KC, which is interesting. It's a longer name, but she goes by KC. Flew the sim, met a bunch of lieutenants, and I think I, I got a spark in her to want to be in the reserves and, uh, and do that because she didn't really know that that path was available to her just going to college down the street. I'm like, we have four or five pilots from, from UCM. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's cool. Chief Baluto, tell me a little bit about how you have 
active duty, risen to be the 10th Air Force commander. What, what, what's your story? What's your background? Yeah, thanks, sir. Uh, so I, just like the boss, I started out active duty. I knew from a young age that I was, uh, was going to serve. Uh, when I was 10, I wanted to fly F-15s. It was the coolest thing on the block. We were living in the United Kingdom, and we'd see him fly over Lake and Heath. What uh, were you doing over there living in the United Kingdom? So I grew up in the United Kingdom. I'm a military brat. I'm third generation Air Force. Awesome. Uh, my father served 20 years. His father before him served 20 years. My middle brother is in the Air Force as a chief as well. Uh, so it's, it's kind of the family business. That's good. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. So uh, I signed up about as soon as I could. So delayed enlistment program. I was 17. Mom and dad took me down after everything was done. I waited until two weeks after I turned 18 before shipping off to basic. I, nobody wants to turn 18 in basic. <laughs> uh, so waited to do that. I came in open general. Uh, I, at the what time. is that? What's open general? So mean? I did not come in with a guaranteed job. It was kind of a, a get me in as quickly as I can. Uh and so I came in without a guaranteed job. I had a list of things to do, uh, defender, firefighter, uh, uh, meteorologist, a photographer uh, was actually on the list, and then air traffic control, uh, which is what I really wanted. I wasn't smart enough to do it. I didn't score well enough on my ASVAB. I wasn't smart enough to do a lot of things. So those are what were on my list when I came in, and I got absolutely none of them. I got picked to be an imagery analyst, so a one-in-one. After basic, I went to tech school to do that. And right at that time, we're talking August of 96, almost my entire class uh, was shipped to Indian Springs Auxiliary Airfield north of Vegas. It's now Creech Air Force Base yeah. to be at the time what they called Predator payload operators. Predator was the only game in town for a remotely piloted aircraft. We had no idea what we were getting into and it turned out to be the best possible career that, that I ever could have had. I absolutely loved that community. So you went right into that career initially out of enlisting. Yes, sir. And yep. and tell me about what what you would you do as an analyst, imagery analyst? What you do in your first job as a, as an RPA analyst? At that time, the remotely pilot aircraft was a misfit toy. We had no idea where it was going to fit. It wasn't armed like it is now. So is it a two asset? Is it a three asset? Nobody was understanding how to use it. We weren't on ATOs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. The background of imagery analysts as a tech school, so I learned to observe, look at photographs taken from satellites and other aircraft, identify things that the enemy had is what we use. So using that as a background to go into full motion video, which is what a payload operator did on the, on the Predator using a, a camera with real-time video, near real-time video, uh, that background was great, but I didn't actually do the J-O-B. So there, there was no tech school for uh, RPA operators at the time. We had a, uh, an NFTU before it was known as an FTU. So it was a, we, we were in a bunch of trailers, literally, and, and hodgepodge. I was in the fourth class uh, ever at, that was taught at Creech Air Force Base. So I got in fairly, fairly new to the program. Sounds like it. You say that in some of my first sorties in Iraq, you say we didn't know how to use the Predator. I would be rolling in for a strafing pass in Baghdad, and I'd pull off, and there'd be a Predator right in my windscreen, and I'm like, what in the F is this guy doing here? And they didn't know what to do with him, and we couldn't communicate with him early on. Right. And really what the CFAC would just do is anytime there was a battle or a fight, they'd pull this drone over there, and he wanted to watch, right? Kind of was what it was. Fast forward three years later when I went to Afghanistan in 06, the technology, we get SATCOM, they get SATCOM. Now we're sectoring. Their sensor's better than mine. Put your sensor there, sector south of the road, lays my bomb in. Uh, it was amazing how rapidly that technology grew right in front of my own eyes as a pilot and how we, to this day, still use them to laser rockets in for us, GPU-12s, to see things that we can't see because their stuff's uh, so much better than our, than our screen. Um, so that's been 
cool to watch. And I know you and like Chief Parks and a lot of other people and Torch have, have flown those things and done that mission. I know General Rather flew those as well when he was the 10th Air Force commander. Props to you, too, for flying a Torch uh, F-35s again. Did that any doubt come into your mind when you got this job again? You hadn't flown for how long? Uh, three years. So I was in South Con for two and then the Pentagon for one. So I'm going to call out General Radliff when he got the job and he goes, I'm going to go fly drones. I'm like, are, are you are you, effing, are you kidding me? You're, why don't you go fly F-35s or A-10s or you get the choice of whatever we fly in 10s. Not that RPAs are bad. I'm not saying that, right? <laughs> but um, he, it, what was cool, but his answer was really cool, I thought, was I don't know that mission and I want to learn that mission better. And I think he did. And then to command folks in that capacity, for him to go over and do that versus, oh, I'll just go fly uh, F-16s again or, or F-35s because I want to. I think he learned a lot about what those guys do in 10th Air Force, which is a tremendous amount, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I th- I'm super happy to be back in the jet. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm still flying out at Hill. Part of it, too, was, you know, Carswell will get the jets next year. So, um, you know, having F-35s on the ramp out at Carswell um, will be awesome when we get our first um you know, owned F-35 and the reserve command will be great, uh, but still flying out of Hill. So, you know, it was a little bit um, easier the second time around getting called. So that was good. So it was great. I get up there about, you know, every 45 days or so. Good. Tell me a little bit about, you mentioned Carswell. Tell me about 10th Air Force and us getting the F-35 and owning the F-35, owning the iron. Tell me when that, that's going to happen. Yeah. So a lot of, a little bit of turbulence in the F-35 deliveries right now. Um, but there's a plan to for the 301st fighter wing is transitioning from F-16s to F-35s. So they'll get their first aircraft on the ramp um, is planned for August the 24. And then they'll get about eight or so, and then we'll kind of see how the deliveries go. But they will get a full squadron of F-35s um, starting next August, which will be great. Awesome. Now, you guys are a command team. You always say that you're a command team. I want the people out that are listening to know the travel schedule that you guys have and how exhaustive that is. Tell me a little bit about a, a, a weekly, monthly schedule that the two of you have going from uh, conferences to MLRs to unit visits to doing change of commands in 17 wings. How much are you on the road? That's a great question. It, it is a lot. So last year, I was on the road about 260 days. Holy cow. Uh, between conferences for uh, the Reserve Command, the Air Force, all of our sister NAFs that we support on the active duty side, we're invited to the table for all of those. Uh, and then, so not only is it is it 17 wings, but 10th Air Force is spread across 23 states on 39 installations. Wow. Uh, literally from Hawaii to Miami and in Alaska. So we're, we're everywhere. Tell me a little bit then with all that travel, I want to know how Sink House handles all that stuff. And tell me who Sink House is. Uh, so Sink House, uh, Commander-in-Chief of the House. Uh, and, and to who's that? That would be my bride, uh, Major Micah Bluto. She's an airman also, uh, which makes that probably a little bit easier. She, she's understanding because she, she gets it. Uh, we just rejoined. We, we, spent, we spent four years geo-batching with different assignments uh, just by the nature of uh, where opportunities were for, for each of us. Uh, we rejoined uh, this, this August. Uh, so we're we're learning to live together again, meaning that uh, she is learning. She is very patient and understanding. She's a saint, is what she is. She, so she's she's extremely tolerant and, and understanding. And what did, uh, what does she do for the Air Force? So now she's in recruiting. She's the director of operations for uh, for the Central Recruiting Squadron. Very cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. Uh, before that, she she started enlisted. Uh, so she did twelve years uh, active duty. She was a Com Troop, a three Charlie when that was still a thing. They're one Deltas now. 
Uh, and then one morning she rolled over and she said, what do you think about if I get a commission? And I laughed. And then I saw her face and she was serious. I said, okay, let's figure out a path. So we pursued that path on the active duty side. They canceled a couple of TS boards. Uh, that's my story. She, she says it's different. Anyway, so we went and sat went down with a mentor of mine who was a reservist and said, is there a path to commission for enlisted in the reserve? Awesome. Uh, and at the time, it was a deserving airman's commissioning program. Uh, now it's a non-EAD commissioning program. And he said, there is. There's no guarantee, but this is what we can do. So at 12 years and 14 years, or her 12, my 14, we jumped from active duty into the reserve to pursue that path for her. And then uh, to help me, uh, it helped me stay in the mission that I was uh, that I was in, which I was extremely passionate about at the time. Good for you. Children? Uh, no, uh, no two-legged children. We have four-legged children. Uh, so I get in trouble when we when I say we don't have kids. They are, <laughs> they are spoiled, rotten. We have three dogs, and they keep us going. I get in trouble when I call my kids kids. My wife's like, they're not Billy Goats. Sorry, they're children. <laughs> <laughs> they're children. Uh, Torch, you have an 11-year-old little boy I met at Change Command. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the challenge. Now, I know you just recently, I don't want to get too much into your personal life. You got married to Cheeseburger, who in an hour and 45 minutes is going to be my boss. You're my boss now. Your husband's <laughs> going to be my boss in an hour and 45 minutes. He's a two-star general. Flew helicopters and C-130s, correct? Uh, C-17. C-17, sorry, Cheese. Um, uh, and you have an 11-year-old boy. How did you, uh, this is amazing to me, you, all these moves, all this stuff that you've done as a single mom for a long time, how'd you manage that and fly and command and all that stuff? How'd you do that? Yeah, a lot of juggling, a lot of juggling. Yep. So I was a, a single mom as a squadron group and wing commander and in the COCOM as a DJ3. Um, so it was super busy. Um, he's a great little kid, very resilient. Um, you know, holidays don't necessarily happen on holidays, just like everybody, right? Thanksgiving's not on Thanksgiving, a birthday is missed here and there. Um, he's pretty resilient. Um, he's always up for an adventure, which I think is good. I think it's getting a little harder in middle school right now. I had to leave your night early last night as he was throwing up going into a dance last night. Seventh grade dance or throwing up outside. He had sweaty palms or something like that. I don't know. I think Mom's it was. Spaghetti. He told me it was something he ate. Yeah, I don't know. The um, so it's it's been busy. Um, but you know it it's been great. I, you know I juggle babysitters like no tomorrow. Um, you know we're both TDY right now, so he we've got our nanny. Um, you know babysitter with him right now, which who he loves. I think it's finding somebody who he loves. So high five out. Um, I made a mistake really, really early on that um, my first TDY that I left him, I had all this mom guilt. So I was like, oh, I'll bring you back a TDY gift. You could imagine how that has gone now. It doesn't matter if it's a five-week TDY or a one-day TDY. Where's my TDY present? I was like, man, I may have started something I didn't want to back well, then. <laughs> maybe we, we'll give him a 30-millimeter bullet you can take home to him. Perfect. Perfect. All right. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get him one. It's that funny you say that. I decorated my office, and I've got some smaller shells in there. He's like... Do you and all your friends decorate your offices the same way with bullets and knives and yes. guns? And I started laughing and yes, bombs. I said, I'm like, yes, yes, we do. Yeah, my wife's not real thrilled about putting all that stuff up in her <laughs> house that I got last night. Um, I got big gun barrel and stuff. No, that that's cool. Um, all right, Shelly, you want to get to some? So we had some questions from you all out there that you wanted to ask a Torch and, and Chief Pluto. I want you to, we'll get yeah, on some of those. Um, yeah, thanks, sir. Just for, I guess, our listeners, we sent out a, Bob and I sent out a wing-wide email, and we found this, like, cool collaborative platform, which allowed you to ask questions, and then you could see the questions that people were posting, and you could, like, upvote them. Um, so we kind of, we had quite a few good submissions, and so we had three. Um, so we're going to ask those now to Chief Ludo and General Sabrick. And the first one, 
I mean, the question we're all expecting um, has to do with our new mission, the future of the 442nd Fighter Wing, and if you can shed any light on what that may look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked a lot about this yesterday as well. So, right, um, you know, the programmatic plan has the A-10s going away. We know that. Um, it doesn't mean we're not trying to fight for a follow-on mission. So, you know, what we're trying to fight for is, you know, kind of in order to recap the 442nd with another fighter, if we can't, you know, another flying mission, and then some. the third choice would be any mission off of that. Um, right now, there's no answer, right? You know, we know the A-10s are going away per the programmatics right now. Um, you know, we're working pretty hard to see what's next for the 442nd. I know that becomes challenging with manning and filling slots that are either term or temporary or, hey, why would I come here? You know, there's not going to be a follow-on 27. We know that um, General Healy and myself and Chief, we're all working really hard to see, hey, what are the potentials and what could be out there? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to have a good answer for that. And, you know, we talked about it yesterday. I would love, I would have loved to come here and said, hey, here's the plan for the 442nd. Um, we're just not there right now. It doesn't mean we're not given, it doesn't mean it, we don't have it. Um, I asked for a little bit. Of, we're trying our hardest right now. Now the boss is trying really hard to see what's next for Whiteman. Um, we know what a great wing this is. You know, we go through the stats of this wing. are unprecedented about what um, this wing has provided through the Air Force over the years. And we want to definitely capture that experience. We just need to figure out what's the next venue for it. So. Um, the, as we go through the future kind of stuff, um, a little bit of a little bit of patience is kind of you know what I would ask is we're trying our best to figure out what's next. We are I am very open kimono. You know as soon as we know something, I'm gonna tell you. Um, there's just no hip pocket right now. We're still trying to work it pretty hard. Right, and um, I'll scratch this if it's not allowed. But I know yesterday you mentioned because um, I have heard you know just from talking to people in the wing um, that there has been some discussion of the A10 extending. Um, yesterday, though, you were like, "There, I have heard nothing." To I do have with heard that. nothing. So. No, in fact, she said, "If it does, she's going to bring back a lot of booze." <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, we, you know, we like to squash rumors, and I too like to squash rumors. <laughs> the the A10 is programmatically planned to go away, right? You know, and that's the thing. You know, and you know, the history of the A10, it's going away. It's not going away, right? And that's what I think. That's what we were talking about. I was like, you know, there is a plan to divest the A-10, particularly here in Whiteman. There is a plan. So I just didn't want to give anybody a false hope that, hey, it's been like, you know, the last five or ten years of it's going away, it's not, it's going away. There, There is a plan on the books, you know, for a divestment. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, the second one, I'm going to ask Chief Ludo's question. Um, with the term multi-capable airmen in the Air Force these days, how do you feel about the term? And with the new battlefield, how do you recommend the Air Force Reserve to train in the MCA direction? There's a little bit wrapped up in that. So I'll, I'll start with what I feel about the term. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the term because when it comes down to it and we need to get something done, we're all multi-capable, right? So I get we put a, a label on it, but uh, man, when, when it hits the fan... We're all going to be there to do the job or somebody else's job to make sure that we succeed and we win. So now, getting away from that, uh, multi-capable airmen. Since we've started using that term, I have championed the idea that a reservist is a multi-capable airman. So, for example, this morning we're having breakfast with airmen, and we have a member in there that is a personnelist in the Air Force. In her civilian gig, she works for National Geospace Spatial Agency. Right? She's Intel. Uh, in her civilian gig, and prior to that, she was military intelligence in the Army. I, you don't get much more multi-capable than that from that piece, understanding what goes into things and then helping them with their, with their records. It, it's going to be inevitable. As we, as we develop what agile combat employment looks like, we have to be more lean in the places that we are going to go, which means we're going to have to do more. Uh, I will tell you 
what is impressive. And I just sat down with uh, the 15th Air Force Command Chief. He stopped by the other day, and we we're talking about this. What do you think about it? And we talked specifically about the attack program here at the 442nd, right? So this wing is leaning way forward in what multi-capable is. You have established a program based on the guidelines, the minimal guidelines that have been set out that this function can be done by this AFSC and, and vice versa. And you have codified a program internally that is phenomenal. You've made it lean, you're making airmen better, and that's transitioning into the active duty as well with the 358th year, right? So both of them are able to do that. I think that is a great model, and it's what I'll tell, take to the Reserve Senior Enlisted Council in two weeks when we go to meet about the in initiatives that are happening inside the 10th Air Force, uh, one coming specific, specifically from this organization. Not only are you doing it here, you put it in practice during Patriot Fury, which is the biggest exercise that the Reserve has ever run, right? $25 million put into that, uh, over 400 Reserve uh, airmen gone into that. Uh, your very own incoming wing commander was the AEW commander for that and, and ran and planned and executed that. And we showed what airmen can do in a austere environment that is outside of the scope uh, and teaching each other how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I know we have a picture Bob took um, of Chief Urbano. He's our security forces uh, senior enlisted leader. And he was marshalling a C-130 um, one of the first days out there, which I thought was cool. He didn't do it for the picture opportunity. You're way too far back for that. Um, he just wanted to do it to become better. So I thought that was pretty cool. I love it. And I'll tell you what, I, I spent a little time with Sal. The uh, General Radliff and I got to go down for a DB day uh, down to Peru, visit Patriot Fury, and we saw Colonel Leonis and, and uh, Chief Urbano spend a little time. And I'll tell you the experience of being the SEL for Colonel Leonis and that uh, nudged Sal out of his comfort zone to apply to do things, right, to, to better himself, develop himself, and challenge himself, right? So he not only applied, but was selected as the MSG SEL inside of this organization. So he's going to go, it, it's a great transition because the security forces still fall under the MSG, right? So he's still got some touch points to what he knows and loves and values, but now he's going to lead airmen at a different level. And no doubt the Patriot Fury and the opportunity he had to, to serve in that capacity Help nudge him out of that uh, out of that comfort zone and to take on a bigger responsibility. It, it did. He didn't. He was leery about taking off his uh, security forces hat and doing them. And he also went to Defender Europe to Spain and did, did. an outstanding yeah, job there. there. Mm -hmm. He he's a, a, a future leader in the Air Force Reserves. He's he an FBI federal agent on this. He's like a GS fifteen or yeah, something like that. Out in St. Louis. So. Yeah. I, I think it. that's awesome. I think you know the multi cable airman thing. It's it's really interesting. We're going there, right? You know. To Chief's point, reservists are multi-cable airmen, right? We run the wing on, you know, 30%. So we're all doing multiple jobs. I think it's now it's kind of semi-formalizing that, you know, to Chief's point, we're going to be dispersed. We've got to figure out what to do. We can't all have, you know, a different AFSC, and this is my only soapite. I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job here, like to Chief's point on ATAC. I think getting people out of their comfort zone is interesting. What I think is better is having airmen raise their hand to say, hey, I want to go do that. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z on top of my job. And I think that's where we need to lead forward to say, hey, this is the new standard and you want to be on this team and I need you to do things outside your comfort zone. And it's interesting because they want to do it and I think it's awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, my, wow. my ADHD is kicking in. Last night I was talking and Nate Parks is sitting next to my wife and he goes, God, this is hilarious just watching this guy talk. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. He's got ADHD, like it's going out of style. But tell your son, don't feel bad about throwing up last night. <laughs> I have two stories. I was like nine years old. We were up in Canada on vacation. I wanted to go home for a baseball all-star tournament. 
because I had made the all-star team. And my dad's like, well, we're not coming home early from vacation. I go, well, I want to go. And so he goes, well, then fly home by yourself. So I was so nervous. I had white pants on, sitting in first <laughs> class on Eastern Airlines. I threw up the eggs that I ate all over my white pants and had to fly home the rest of the way with barf all over my pants. <laughs> and that's one story. And then the other story is my first flight in the Air Force. I'm, I'm just, you know, 250 hours. I, I was, you know, everybody thought I was going to do well because I'd come from the reserves, knew all this stuff about the tweet, and I was doing pretty well in academics, believe it or not. <laughs> and I did my first flight in the tweet, and I vomited all over myself in the airplane. <laughs> I came back into the, the, the flight room, and we were getting ready to take a test, and I had vomit all down my flights so tell your son not to worry about that all right, all right perfect i'll pass it on he'll, uh, he'll be yeah. happy about that look at me now <laughs> when i have to get home to, to tomorrow and clean some shoes and a few other things <laughs> it happens it does it, happens. it does all right you got another question i think we have one more and i was active duty too for 10 years and awesome. i have heard this question many times and so it is it is a common one but it is so valid um and the question is we often hear do more with less uh that used to be about money but more and more it is becoming do more with your airmen and less money. Uh, the list of requirements seems to grow, but the resource becomes scarcer. What are your guys' thoughts? So it's a true statement, right? Um, and I think what's happening is, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on, both in the Air Force and the Joint Staff and DOD at large, right? Like, we, we're trying to modernize, right? We're trying to, if you... If you've seen what's going on with the SecAF's operational imperatives, right, we're trying to push to a new level of where we are to be able to fight a near-peer threat like GB, you know, China and Russia right now. So coming out of decades of CENTCOM, right, we have got to modernize the force. So what does that do? It puts a strain on resources. It puts a strain on people. Um, you know, as we transition and keep the, you know, the forces, you know, concurrent and proportionally modernized as we go into these new ones and stuff. So there's not enough money, right? MPA has kind of dried up. You know, we used to live on a lot of the OCO MPA, you know, as we grew up that's kind of going away. Resources are getting um, scarce. Priorities are shifting a little bit. So I think it, it, it's tough. You're right. And, uh, you know, in the Reserve Command, we're struggling with AGRs right now, right? We've got too many, and we've got to take some cuts uh, to right-size where we are. So I think we are asking a lot of people, and um, that's part of it, too. I think, you know, the multi-capable piece will help a little bit. Um, but there's got we've got to make sure we're not crushing people, too, right? Like, um, we want people to be in this for the long haul. You know, Reserve sign up for a reason right like this is a complete volunteer organization of people coming outside their civilian jobs and we've got to do a better job so you know i take that you know we're doing our best up in 10th right now to try to give we're giving out as much as we can it's not enough you know i, I know i didn't give nasty enough money for this wing right it just doesn't exist so you know we're trying to come up with creative solutions about how to do this better how we can you know solidify some stuff to get the resources to you guys um but to the point we are asking a lot and i think it's kind of we're the Air Force is moving right now with constraints and money. It, there, there's not a great answer in sight right now, so we've got to figure out different ways of thinking outside the box. So I think, you know, the innovation stuff of how do we do things smarter and better, you know, personally, I think we need to get after. We've always we get away from. We've always done it this way. That's probably not the right way anymore, to be honest. You know, we need to think outside the box and say, or throw the box away and just completely do something different and say, hey, this doesn't work anymore based off of our money and our manpower. We've got to try something different. It's a, this is a great opportunity, right? It is a struggle. It is a challenge. We are under-resourced. This is a leadership opportunity for us to identify how we skinny down and we're able to do things. It also puts power back in the hands of a commander, right? 
for the things that they need to waive that are chaff for us to still be able to accomplish that mission and route that up to the boss. So we're putting commanders in a position, I think now, that I haven't seen before as an SEL with one. Uh, as we continue to skinny down on manpower, bodies, positions, money, uh, it, it's, it's a great opportunity. As we as we continue to talk about mission type orders, right, and how we operate in a in a environment where there is no communication back and we have levying uh, responsibilities and command authority, right, it's going to be the same. So we're, we're putting commanders in a position to, to take risk uh, and then to say no, right? Can't get there from here or no unless. I have to have this before I can do that. Right. Do you have a 20-year retirement in your hip pocket right now or no? Yes, sir. I'm 27 years and it's all... Uh, I have been nothing but uh, but full time, right? Yeah. So I have no civilian job. Don't know what it, what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, I I am still here because this is what I love. And then Torch raised her hand too. So does she. So that that's kind of what I was going to say to both you guys. As is, you keep serving. I, and I've I've seen this in some of my mentors, right? And Eric Overturf and uh, NATO Heckfed and Brian Borgen and um, General Scobie, uh, my dad. Um, Thank you for continuing to lead and serve. All right, you guys could both walk out of here tomorrow with a retirement in your pocket, start collecting pay for doing nothing. So you're you're, you're kind of working for half pay. You're doing it, I think, because you want to lead people, and because you have a sense of uh, pride in, in the not only the Air Force Reserves but this country and this nation. And we need people like you to keep serving and doing the things that you're doing at Tenth Air Force. Um, not everybody wants to do it. I see guys uh, in my time frame and younger that are like, I, I'm done, I'm done doing this, I'm, I'm going back to my airline job, or I'm gonna retire, go do some contracting stuff, or, or whatever. Uh, and that's great, because maybe it's time for them and their families to do that, but I know the toll that it takes on, on Sink House, and on your son, and on Cheese, to continue to do this job, and to travel, and to go to all the wings, and do unit visits, to go to conferences. Uh, thank you uh, for continuing to lead. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be in 10th Air Force, uh, with you guys. I'll miss being in 10th uh, personally. And I wanted to say uh, quickly to Chief Barion, and he doesn't like to talk. He's been sitting here the whole time. It's just like the drive, <laughs> like down, the to drive down to Moody. <laughs> I think he might be a <laughs> deaf, he might story. be a mute, deaf mute. Yeah, that was like our first um. trip with Chief Barion. <laughs> and it was us three in the car. And General Nestor and I talked the entire way down. And I don't think Chief Barion said one word for three hours. <laughs> I like his podcast. Get in here a little bit. <laughs> so, so Chief, um, uh, first of all, thank you for the awesome gift you gave me last night. That's really cool. He yeah. gave me a, a a glass with a star on it, a glass with the chief stripes on it. He's got one at his house. I got one at mine. So it encourages us to visit each other. I talk about relationships. Uh, this job's about relationships. I have made a, a friend in Chief Berrien, uh, working for him for the last two years, and I've gained a friend, right? Uh, that's what I'll probably say in a few hours after I sit in a sauna for 30 minutes so I can get my blues. Um, <laughs> you remember your shoes? Yeah. I don't go to Walmart today to get socks already, oh, so good. I'm already, I'm already, you know. Well, let me tell you, trying good, to catch up here. Good story. Before I get back to Chief, this is ADHD. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing this. This guy's retirement. I'm over at newcomers in my flight suit. I, I go. I don't want to do newcomers in my flight suit. I got. I got. My, so I carry my blues over. I'm talking to these newcomers guys. DTNF. DTNF, and I'm like giving them this big speech and all this stuff, getting to know them. And I'm like, okay, look, I gotta, I gotta do a, a, a retirement here in about five minutes downstairs in that same building. I gotta go change in my blues. I get into the bathroom, <laughs> take my flight suit off, 
put my shirt on. I look at the, the hanger. There's no pants. And I'm like, <laughs> true story. Oh, you got to be kidding me. And so I call Rio and I'm like, have you left yet? And he goes, oh, yeah. I go, go back to the office, get my pants. They're hanging up in there. So now I'm in the bathroom with my <laughs> pants, shirt, jacket on, no pants, no pants. And in comes these DTNF kids. And I'm standing there and I'm a freaking one, I'm freaking one star general. And this kid comes in, he goes, sir, I wanted to talk to you about how to become a pilot. Yeah. yeah how do I do that? And I'm standing, there, I'm talking to this kid in my underwear and my, my, my top only. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it seriously, this is how you do it. There, there's some command sponsored UPT slots and this, and then Rio walks in and he was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so I go down to the retirement and I'm like, uh, this is a funny story. I, I, before I started, I didn't have any pants on five minutes ago. And, and then I forgot my shoes. We're over for three on uniforms at uh, yeah. General Master. When I did the change command with General Radliff, I'm walking in and Radliff is like behind me. And he was like, your uniform is ripped in the back. You're missing a button on the front. And he was like, oh my, I think I'm going to turn around and have a second uh, chance to rethink this. Back to you. Back to ADHD. <laughs> Thanks for helping me the last two years, and thanks for being my uh, part of my command team. It's been awesome traveling with you, uh, and we'll be friends for uh, for for life. And uh, you're welcome anytime to come up and ski, and hopefully I can get out to California and do some cool California sure. stuff with you. Yeah. What do you got to say? <laughs> you you up. have yeah. get up to the okay. microphone. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you finally you invited me. You said it me. all last yeah. night? Yeah, I said it all. That uh, made me you, super emotional. I was like, I was same. Like totally cried over that. That was You just had some really nice words, and yeah. your gift was very, very kind. It was very cool. But yeah. thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it, and it's been it's been awesome working yeah, with you. Yeah, this has been, uh, thanks for inviting me to this podcast. Absolutely. Maybe hopefully Colonel Leonis uh, keeps doing this. He will. He's not as funny as me, but he will keep doing it. Hey, yeah. I'm going to jump in before you cut us off and the podcast is over. Hey, I wanted to say thanks to you. Um, you know, we'll say I'll say a bunch of nice things about you in the next hour and a half after you squeeze in your blues. <laughs> the uh, the but I wanted to say thanks. Obviously, um, coming out of Wing Command, it's tough, right? Because you know you don't want to ever give it up, right? You you literally have to give me back the guide on today. You can't hold it. The uh, <laughs> and I, I'll I'll call you ma'am instead of sir. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but oh, and hopefully, I'll, and what's the. Uh, Ma'am, I relinquish command. All right. We'll still practice it. it. But it's hard. I just want to say thanks. Um, Obviously, you know, you can tell with the sentiments that were said last night about what this team thinks of you and what you have done for this wing. Obviously, this is, you know, your your home, obviously, is the 442nd for your most of your career. Um, so thank you for what you have done in leading this team. I know you will go on to do great things next. Um, it's not the same as Wing Command. I know that. Um, so a little bit bittersweet to give up command today. But just, you know, from my seat, you have done a phenomenal job here. And I just wanted to say thanks for leading. You've led through some tough times, you know, um, you know, backside of COVID and a few other things right now. So um, thanks for what you have done for the 442nd and for 10th and for the Air Force. You're, you're welcome. And it was funny because when I left squadron command, I walked out of the 303rd squadron. I thought my life was over. I was like, this sucks. This is <laughs> terrible. I'm not a fighter pilot anymore. I, I don't even want to go into that building. I'm not part of the squadron anymore. I'm not going to go to war ever again. And it was like devastating. It, my wife was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I went to a staff job at Norfolk. I wasn't flying. I, I was actually a pain in the ass for two years. I, I was like, I, it was, I was a little depressed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. And I had the opportunity to come back and be the vice. And, uh, I think I'll handle this better now. I'm a little more mature now. So, uh, <laughs> um, 
No, it, it, it's good. I, two years is good. I think it's time for Rio to, to take his uh, role. And, and like my wife said last night, she's like, I don't, he said, I, I'm going to keep doing what Nasty did. And she goes, he's awesome leader by himself. Tell him to make this place his own, like lead the way you want to lead. Mm -hmm. And just like he did with Patriot Fury. And that's probably what I'll say to, to yeah, him today. But it'd be good. All right. Thanks yeah. again. Well, actually, so I, maybe I should uh, use this opportunity to thank thank General Nestor one more time. Uh, he's he really was. I didn't realize you could be, be develop such a friendship, a close friendship, a best friendship with your commander. And I think that's in, like that's something that we all commanders teams should be uh, you know try to do is that doesn't have to be a, an awkward uh, this that where there's a kind of a conflicting. No, you can have synergy and just get along so well and develop really good friendships. So. Um, I was kind of suspect. I've heard stories about Nasty when 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 he when he first was coming, and I you know they're they're all true. But I was so I was so impressed with. I would say something uh, during the month and uh, voiced my concern, and I didn't know it was going to register. And then he takes it, and he just he's he's amazing with uh, with how he takes care of airmen. So I'm I you have some our our wing has some big shoes to fill with you leaving, and uh, I'm going to miss you. And hopefully, yeah, we do hang out in yeah. the future. And when if I have a retirement. Um, could I invite you? Which could you narrow, uh, you uh, officiate that for me? I absolutely. Yeah. Anybody who asked me to do that, okay. I would do that. That was a, I've never yeah. heard an invite on a podcast. Like <laughs> that. We'll have to play that again. All right. I think that's it. We have a change of command in an hour and a half. All right. Thanks. <laughs>